Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Participate in one of our free online workshops happening all the time. If that isn't for you, check out our online Bible study classes. There are tons of studies and times to choose from. For more information on these things, head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca. There, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our mailing list to stay updated on all that God is doing within this ministry. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Colossians. Well, hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, and it is another week of Unlocking the Truth. We're making our way through the book of Colossians. We're doing this every other week right now in comparison to uh, the bi-weekly podcasts that we've done in the past. I hope and pray that as we're working through this, you are studying the text with us. We're leading a Colossians class with Precept Online right now. We have a couple of them going on. You can find out information about how to get involved in those Colossians classes Uh, fantastic study, folks. This is so applicable to us right now. Uh, I've been really encouraged as I've been teaching through this for the past seven, eight weeks with our group, as well as um, just going back and studying through in preparation for uh, the podcast each week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, I'm encouraged by all of the uh, comments that we're getting Um, that are coming back to us, uh, people being uh, blessed by what they're learning in the text. And I'm so thankful for that. The purpose of this really is to create a hunger for God's word so that you would be able to um, further look into the scriptures for yourself. And so I pray that uh, you'll have the opportunity to do that. Maybe join one of our online classes that we are uh, running regularly, or even our online training. If you're new to Precept and you're listening to this, check out its Essentials of Inductive Bible Study. That is a workshop that is for brand new people that you can get involved in learning the study. Another opportunity for you to get further involved, through the month of May, we are running a program called Revive and Renew. It's a drop-in on Thursday afternoons on our website and you can register for that and we'll send you a link to zoom this is the time folks when we are really stuck in this isolation uh, going through this COVID-19 panic this is an opportunity for you to take the time to study God's word if you're not doing that already you have all kinds of extra time maybe you have young kids that have been normally in extracurricular activities and they can't do that right now So maybe you're looking for things to do with them or you're looking for things to do to hide from them. Get yourself involved in a Bible study. PreceptMinistries.ca. Find out more about that. Let's pray and then we'll dig into the text. Father, we do thank you for... Father, we do thank you for this uh, time that we can use this technology and we can study uh, the book of Colossians. Father, this week's study, Lord. We pray that you would uh, walk us through this text. Give the words to me that you want to be spoken across uh, the internet, Lord. Father, we pray that as we look at these two commands from Paul, that uh, we would take them seriously for our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So we left off in our episode three. We finished at the end of chapter one, in which I believe, and I said this last week, I believe that Paul has really laid out for us the reason he does ministry, and that is that he would be able to admonish every man, teach every man with all wisdom, so that they may be made complete. He says in verse 29, for this purpose, I labor, striving according to his power and his might, mightily works within us. So we know that in scripture, chapter divisions and all those numbers were added later. And this was just a letter written to the church at Laodicea and Colossae. And so, uh, Verse chapter two, verse one continues in the thought of the previous chapter, and that is that he is working to make every man complete in Christ. So what he says in chapter two, verse one, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Well, when we look at that word struggle, we can also translate that word struggle to be striving. So if you look at it as striving, his striving, his purpose, his passion, his ministry, his desire is that even for those that he's not ever met in person, he wants them to be made complete in Christ. We know that he's in prison right now, and in his striving to make people made complete in Christ, we know the persecutions that he's faced. We've talked about that last week, the shipwrecks, the, the, um, the beatings, the scourgings that he took. Um, having to move from place to place because people wanted to have him killed for um, preaching the gospel. So we know that this is his desire, is that he wants every person who's been captured by the gospel, not just to hang with the elementary principles of truth, but he wants them to strive and he wants to make sure that they are in full understanding, have full wisdom, and they are made complete in Christ. This is why he serves. And so that's what he continues on. And look what he says in verse 2. He says that that their hearts, okay, this is the people he strives for, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all wealth that comes from the assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. So, what is Paul saying here in these verses? One, okay, part of it is he wants us to be made complete. Two, what does he really want us to know? He really wants us to fully understand and fully grasp the truth of the gospel. There's this inward encouragement that in the depths of my heart, in the depths of where I am in my life, I truly know the gospel. I truly believe the gospel that Jesus died for sins, that he was buried for three days, and that after the third day he was resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15. That after he resurrected, he appeared to many and one as timely as me. He appeared to Paul. He wants you to grasp and fully understand the truth 
that prophecy came true when Jesus died for our sins, when he was buried and he was raised again. Do you get it? Not do you just get it with your head. Okay, I can put one, two, and three together. and Okay, I understand that. No, no. Do you understand it into the depths of your heart, into that central system within your body that when that stops beating, you have no more life, that that right in the middle of you is the gospel. You see, how often we approach the gospel, and when we start to hear the gospel, we shut off because we know the gospel. We know the facts of the gospel, but when you really comprehend and fully understand the truth of the gospel, do you know that you were once destined for hell? You were once going to face the wrath of God for your sin. Not only the sins you committed in your life, but the sins you inherited from Adam. That from the very beginning, right from birth, you were destined for wrath. Do you grab that? Do you understand it? That your life was going to result in death without the work of the cross. That because Jesus came to earth, he humbled himself, that he came, he put himself on a cross, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Why? Because God, rich in his mercy and his grace, sent his son to be a propitiation or a payment for you. That without being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are dead. Do you get it? Do you comprehend that? Is it more than just head knowledge for you? When you wake up in the morning, do you look out the window of your house or your apartment or wherever you live and thank God because you have breath today? You have breath because God has given you breath. You will live in eternity as a believer of Jesus Christ because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And that's what Paul wants these people to truly understand. Do they get the gospel? And you see, when they fully get the gospel and understand the gospel, what comes out of a true understanding of the gospel is that you be knit together, unified in one spirit. You could do an entire inductive study on unity. Look up Ephesians. Take some time to go through Ephesians chapter 3 and see what it says about being unified in one spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. We also know that a part of unity comes love. There's this love that comes out of that. Now, if you have not had the opportunity, I would challenge you, go back. Look at the history of the podcasts that we have. The history of the podcasts that we have, we, in the very beginning, we started, I believe it was the first series we ever did, was on 1 John. 1 John is a phenomenal Bible study that you need to work through because of the one word that works all the way through 1 John. That one word is the word no. And every time you see the word no, 
It's going to line up for you, okay, K-N-O-W, not no, N-O, but every time you see the word no, it's going to line up to showing you what a true believer is in Jesus Christ. How do you know? You know that you're a believer by this. And then you're going to see probably between, I remember if I can remember correctly, between 13 and 16 markers of a true believer in Jesus Christ. How do you know you're a true believer? Study 1 John. And so when you look at 1 John, one of those markers is love. It's love for the brethren, love for one another, and love for God. And so what he's saying here is that our hearts may be encouraged, not just encouraged, but that we would truly know inwardly that we are truly saved. The other is that out of that comes unity in love. And those are three markers right in there. So encourage, knowing that you're true you understand the gospel, you believe the gospel, that it was for you, too, that you have unity, unity with the Spirit, unity with each other, and out of that comes love. We're going to see more about love as we get into chapter 3. Uh, Paul's going to challenge us uh, specifically on how to deal with each other in the midst of um, what's going on in their church. And so what you've got here now is he says that I want you to know that I'm striving, I'm struggling, I'm working uh, hard for you to know and understand and be encouraged that the gospel saves, that out of the gospel, it brings unity together. And a part of that unity, we are going to see love. And then what happens is he says, and attaining, okay, attaining to all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding uh, and really knowing. Oh my goodness, can you imagine that if you were to look at your life and say, uh, I start to have a common community with those who are around me and believers, love is just pouring out of my life. And because of all of these things and the things that I'm seeing changing in my life because of my profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I can be fully assured that I am a true believer in Jesus Christ, that I am going to uh, continue to grow in that fuller knowledge of God, and then finally, I know the mystery the mystery that it is Christ is God himself. This is the mystery revealed, that the Messiah is Christ himself. I want to take you to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, and taken up into glory. The mystery, God himself humbled himself and came to earth as Jesus in the flesh. He did his work on the cross. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed by nations, believed by the world, and then he ascended to heaven. This is the mystery. Christ being revealed that he is God. 
fully God, fully man, present on earth, which we looked at last week. Now look what he continues on. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. That the full understanding you have is you know, not just in your mind, but in your heart, that Christ is God. It's fantastic. This is mind-blowing stuff. Now look what he says in verse 3. In whom? In Christ Jesus are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this is going to kick off the very first kind of warning that we need to be paying attention to. So what he's doing through all of chapter 1 and into part of chapter 2 is he is laying out uh, one thing and one thing only. He is laying out everything you need to know about Jesus Christ and that true salvation is found in Jesus. In chapter 1, he laid out who Jesus is. He laid out that he was there in the beginning. He wasn't a plan B. He was a part of creation. Creation was for him and creation was through him. He wants you to know that Jesus is fully God. And so when he lays that out, he says all of the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found there. What was happening in the life of this church is there were a group of people that were proclaiming they had a secret knowledge or a secret understanding that would lead to true salvation. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, the people who are proclaiming this to you, that they have a secret, you know, come in the back room and I'll tell you a little bit of a secret about how you can be saved. No, everything has been revealed. There is nothing hidden to point you to a way of salvation. It's all out in the open. When Christ revealed himself as God, when he came to earth, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, and the word uh, humbled himself and came to earth. These are all the passages we looked at last week. We know that when Christ revealed himself, that when he died on the cross, when he was buried, when he was raised again, and when he ascended into heaven, back to be with the Father, everything was revealed. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus proclaimed in John. And so we know that everything's been revealed. There are no secrets that can be brought out that are going to lead you to salvation other than the path of through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So what he's doing is he's setting the people up and he's warning them with verse 4. I say all of this to you so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. You see, what's very interesting here is that he's laid out who Christ is, fully God, fully man, all the deity that was he had in heaven, he had on earth. And nothing is hidden because we truly know that Jesus was the Messiah. So don't believe what you hear on the street corner all the time. Uh, very interesting. I, heard, I read one 
commentary that really brought this out for us in a quote. And he says, man's philosophies are really attractive. They come off as wisdom and intelligent and young believers can easily fall into the trap of following after these philosophies of man. Like there has to be something to the gospel to be added to salvation. Uh, The book of Galatians is a good example of the gospel plus. Uh, That's the proclamation of these are the things you need to do to be saved when we just know truly that we are saved uh, through repentance of sin, belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. There's more to the Christian life that comes from it, but it's this simplicity that comes through in understanding that Jesus is fully God, that he came to earth, died on the cross, buried, rose again. There's nothing else that's going to lead us to salvation. There are no deeds we can do that will save us. And this is what he wants you to know. Don't be deluded with persuasive argument. You know what? It's going to sound really good. It's going to sound. And what I think um, Paul wants us to know, and, and I'm seeing this in our world today, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think what Paul wants us to know is it's going to sound really close to the truth. It's going to be so close to the truth that there might only be one small point off. And he wants us to be aware of that. Well, in the midst of this COVID-19 panic, uh, we've had a phenomenal opportunity, haven't we? You know how we as believers, every Sunday we have a routine. We have a routine of getting up, putting on our Sunday best, and heading to our local church that we're members of. Well, what's been going on? We haven't been able to go to our churches. We haven't been able to walk in and sit in our normal pew and shake the hands with the ushers we see each and every week. And I got to be honest with you, I miss that. We have some hilarious ushers at our church. I'm encouraged by those ushers at our church every week. I like being with the people in our church. I like our leadership team at our church. I can't wait to get back to that. I hope you feel the same way. But there's been an opportunity in the fact that we do not have the schedule of where we can normally meet and say, I'm going to choose to meet and watch my sermon or join my church online at 11 a.m. like I normally do, and there you go. We can start doing kind of things like we're doing with this podcast. We can start picking up any preacher we want all across the world. We can grab on to uh, speakers who have massive mega churches and start listening to their messages and joining their worship times. I'll be honest with you, I've joined in on a church that's down in South Carolina. I've listened to the sermons of the pastor, but I've got to tell you something. There's something there I'm not sure about. I mean, the message, he's a phenomenal communicator. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a phenomenal communicator. He's got over 50,000 people joining in all over the world each and every week. 
as he's preaching. But something's not lining up for me. A lot of it sounds bang on. But then there are some things I kind of question. And I wonder, and they send me back to the Bible, and I start to look at the scripture within its context, and it just starts rubbing me the wrong way, and I have to turn it off. But you know, 90% of it sounds really good. But there's that 10% that seems to be off a little bit. And I think that's what Paul's saying here, is sometimes the philosophies of men, they're going to sound very, sim- very similar to the truths. But there's going to be some small things that are off in it that we really need to pay attention to and don't get deluded by it. It's like adding water to vinegar. I remember having a caretaker in a church. And he always used a vinegar and water solution to clean all the massive windows in the church. And he would tell me, he says, the mixture would need to be bang on. Because if it was slightly off, it would leave streaks on the windows. And so he would have to meticulously measure that out to make sure that the windows really looked fantastic. He took great pride in cleaning those windows. But think about what Paul's saying. Don't be deluded. Watered down. Don't be kind of the mixture will be off a little bit. And and the way they'll do it is by their persuasive and good-sounding words. If I were to wrap the theme of this entire book into a title, the title is not mine. I've read the title, but you could write the title down if you like. It's Christ's Supremacy and Christ's sufficiency. This is the sole reason that Paul is writing this book. He wants us to know the supremacy of Christ and that he is sufficient and there's nothing from the outside that is needed for salvation. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 18 to 23, he talks about the wisdom of the world. And what he says regarding the wisdom of the world is this. He says, Let no man deceive you, chapter 3, verse 18. If any man among you who thinks that he is wise in the age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise again. For the wisdom of the world is foolish before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. So then, uh, or again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise and they, that they are useless. So let no one boast in men for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Uh, what stands out in that verse for you? The wisdom of the world is foolish. We need not look to the Dr. Phil's and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world to determine how to live and be ready for Christ's return. Why is it that even in the religion section of a bookstore, there's more self-help books with the wisdom of man than there is 
books based on scripture. These are the things that fire me up as a leader of precept. I just want people to dig into God's word because everything pertaining to life and godliness has been given to us in his word. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, I want to walk you through some verses here regarding uh, false teachers um, that are coming. And so Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, listen to what he says. But false prophets arose among you, uh, among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, uh, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Are you hearing what Peter's laying down here regarding false teachers? Secretly introducing destructive heresies. They deny the master. When they do that, they bring swift destruction upon themselves. But here's the kicker. Remember the quote I said about young believers following after these plans of man, these philosophies of man. He says, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. First uh, Timothy chapter uh, one, verse three, uh, verses three to 11 uh, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia. Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine, nor to pay attention to endless myths and uh, genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administra administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love uh, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a and sincere faith. For men are straying from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either that what they are saying or the matters about which they make uh, confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for righteous persons. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers and murderers, and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the beloved God with which I've been entrusted. The law points us to sin. The law points us to the need for a savior. But there are men who are teaching strange doctrine, doctrines according to 1 Timothy. Doctrines that are contrary to sound biblical truth. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. 
these teachings and these truths, these teachings that are coming from false teachers are rocking the foundation of young believers. This is happening in our world today. We are seeing this all over the world where people are being led astray by false teachers and false teaching. Paul exhorts Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, exhort in sound doctrine, a healthy, wholesome teaching. A biblical truth is to be taught. This is what Paul is doing through Colossians chapter 1 and into Colossians chapter 2. He is striving and struggling to get you grounded in the truth of God's word so that when false teaching does come upon you, it becomes a red flag for you and not something that sounds so enticing that you want to walk away from the truth and follow after man's philosophies. This is what I love about precept in the inductive Bible study method. You study it long enough, you're going to really know God's word. When you start hearing things that sound a little off, every alarm bell in your head and in your body starts to ring. And you say to yourself, there's something off with that. This has been me as I've watched different church services online over the last few months. There's something not right there. Something about that that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. I love, I love with all my heart when Jessica, my wife, says that to me. There's something not right there. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up to the truth. My wife didn't go to Bible college and spend all kinds of time becoming a pastor. My wife studied precept inductive Bible study method and has started to learn the scriptures and know the scriptures and understand the scriptures and take the scriptures to heart. And when she hears that, she says, nope, that's not right. That should be the challenge for us. Do we know God's word so well that when we start to hear those things, they come off as a warning? He says in verse 5, even though I'm absent in the body, I'm in prison, I wasn't there. I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. Uh, Right now, um, your faith is not being rocked. You're not falling captive to these persuasive words. One of the things that I think, okay, this is me thinking for a moment, okay? So, You could go and look at all kinds of different commentaries and see what they have to say, but this is what I think. I think Colossians is being written as a warning that this is coming. That these new believers, uh, they're getting firm and in the faith, but Paul really, what he's striving for is to get them whole and complete because he knows opposition is coming and he doesn't want them to be deluded by it. And right now he's saying, 
um, at this point, you're not being rocked in your faith. You have good discipline. You're not being persuaded. But I want you to be careful because there will be a time coming that I don't want you to be deluded by these truths. That's my feeling. That's my thought as I study through Colossians. There might be some commentaries that contradict what I'm thinking as I reason through the scriptures. This is the challenge that as I'm reasoning through the scriptures, I'm sharing with you what I believe God is showing me through the scriptures. And even though there are going to be some people that might contradict that, I'm not moving away from the truth of the doctrines that surround all of this. I can't say for certain what was going on in Paul's mind in here. Neither can any commentary person. They weren't there when he wrote it. And we weren't there at the actual moment. But I think he's saying that I'm not there with you, but I'm hearing about how you are responding well. And you are walking well right now. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in him. Be firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So there's a couple things that I want to point out in here and then I want to, to leave us with some practicals. How we do this. First, there is an important thing to take note that he says, don't, don't let anyone delude you with persuasive argument in verse 4. In verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, and then also according to the elementary principles of the world. And so what he's saying there is that some of these people who are coming to you to proclaim to you that they are wise and that they have secrets to salvation. They have ways for you to be saved from the wrath of God. They're actually not difficult things to understand. They're very elementary and simple and sometimes really dumb. That's why they don't sound right. And that's what he's saying there in verse 8. There's going to be things that are going to come. Hey, you have to wash your hands this way or eat these certain things in order to be saved. Okay, so we've seen that in other books of the Bible. Again, back to Galatians. It's a lot about what you're eating to be saved. So there's traditions that have been put in place. Uh, back when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus, why do your disciples do these things on the Sabbath? Why do your disciples not fast like John's disciples? Traditions. Things that they've always done in order to be righteous before God. No longer needed. The blood of Christ is what makes us righteous before God. Empty deception. Just talking to talk. Bringing untruth. Principles of the world. Rather than teaching truth. So we're going to look at what prevents a Christian 
from being deluded. Well, Paul's going to tell us how to prevent being deluded or taken captive by false teaching. First, verse 6, you are going to walk in Jesus. I would challenge you to uh, go to blueletterbible.org and uh, type into the search bar at the top, walk in him or just walk. And what you're going to find is a ton of cross-references that all point to the purpose of a believer walking. Philippians chapter 3. And what he says um, there, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ." That whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you and you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that is from God. Uh, that you conduct yourselves worthy of a manner of the gospel is the same as walk in him. The idea of walking in Christ is living a life in which you follow after him. You follow after your teacher, your leader. If you are a disciple, you follow the leader. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this church in Thessalonica never saw Jesus, but they imitated Jesus. What they saw was Paul's phenomenal example of a man who was walking in Christ. And by the way he was walking in Christ, Paul, as he imitated Christ, the people saw this imitation and they too imitated Christ. They walked in a manner worthy of their leader. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember him saying that earlier in Colossians chapter 1. He said that you, uh, verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard that if we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that's the first thing. We're going to walk in obedience to him. We're going to follow wholeheartedly after him. That's the number one step in not being deluded. You're not going to follow after any man that's on this earth. You're not going to follow after any individual. You're going to follow Jesus, number one. The second thing you are going to do is you are going to be grounded in the truth. 
you're going to be rooted in sound doctrine. You see what he says here, sir, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so uh, walk in him, firmly rooted and being built up in him and established in your faith. So these are some real keys here. You see, if you're listening to this podcast and you thought life as a Christian was just about saying the prayer, walking the aisle, raising the hand, and that's it. I am so sorry that you believe that because that is so far from the truth. What we are called to do in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 is to make disciples. We're to make followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus fully understand what Jesus did on the cross. That's number one. The disciple of Jesus, when they truly understand who he is and what he has done, begin to follow after him. Now, how does a disciple take on the pattern of that individual's life? Well, we saw through the life of Paul that one way was through his actions, but also his words when he taught them the gospel. And the other is by getting into the word of God. That's the other way in which we don't get deluded. We become firmly rooted in the truth. We take the 66 books of the Bible and we come to a better understanding of them. I'll be honest with you, uh, just a few weeks ago, well, it's probably seven weeks ago, as a part of the isolation, I decided to start to study through a book of the Bible that I was absolutely afraid of. I didn't know whether I wanted to tackle the book of Ezekiel or not. I started getting really worried about it. You know, I've read through Ezekiel a number of times, but I've always come to the end of it and thought to myself, what in the world is going on in that millennial reign? I know there are others that have been concerned like that in, say, the book of Revelation. Oh, man, I don't want to... What's going to happen if I try to study the book of Revelation? That's just too hard to understand. God wants us to know every book of the Bible. God wants us to know the Old Testament because that's going to teach us about him and his character. It's going to teach us about holiness. The New Testament teaches us how to live a righteous life. How to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. We got to know God, find out who he is in the Old Testament, find out about the Savior and the work of the cross in the New Testament, but he was talked about in the Old Testament as well. And then we learn how to live it out. That's what all of Paul's letters focus on, is how to live out the gospel. So that's the second thing we're going to be doing. We're going to be rooted in sound doctrine. Healthy, wholesome truth. The third thing that we're going to do is we're going to be on guard. See to it that no one takes you captive 
So you're going to be on guard. You're going to have your antennas up. You're going to be aware of the teaching that's going on around you. You're going to be so firmly rooted in God's word that when something comes that doesn't sound right, you're going to raise that red flag. And the first thing you're going to do is not criticize the teacher that's teaching it, but you are going to look back to God's word and you're going to say, what does God's word say? That's number one. Is what I'm hearing lining up with what I'm seeing in God's word? And if it's not, what's different? Be on guard for it. You know that it's out there. The promises that false teachers will come, are here, and will be a part of this world until Christ returns. So the false teaching is out there. You just need to be on guard. Be aware of it. Don't fall asleep to it. Most importantly, if you keep sitting under it, get out of it. It's not doing anything for you. It's just diluting the foundation that you have. Paul tells us to not be taken captive by it. Don't be stuck in traditions. The final thing that he's we need to be doing is to be we need to be assured that we are in him. So we want to make sure that we are in him. Why? Why do we need to be assured that we are in him? Verse 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. We want to make sure that we are grounded and rooted in our faith. We do that by studying the word of God. We be on alert against those false teachers and we be assured that we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8 is where we're going to leave our, leave our time together. And what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 8, and I'm going to give you context for all this. I'm going to read it right from the beginning. Um, these are the qualities of living in Christ. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That knowledge is the same knowledge that Paul has in his prayer in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. In the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay, so Peter's setting us up and he's telling us um, about what Christ did, how we are partakers of the promise, but there are responsibilities for us. Uh, for by these, or in verse 5, he says, Now this very reason, what you need to do, 
You need to apply all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your, your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 10, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Be assured that you are in the family of God because you will find salvation nowhere else. It's amazing what Peter's saying. In diligence, supply more um, moral excellence. I mean, this is living a life above the standard. This is the same as Paul saying, walk in him. And in your moral excellence, as you're walking in him, in First Peter, he says, um, grow in the knowledge. And as you grow in the knowledge, what he's saying, a part of that is as you grow in the knowledge, you gain things like self-control. You're able to say no to the temptations that come up upon you. And as you grow in self-control, you begin to persevere and be able to continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because you know what is for you at the end of the race. And as you persevere, you become more godly. You become more like Christ. And as you become more like Christ, the outflowing of your imitation of Christ is brotherly kindness. And out of the love for the brethren, your whole attitude is love. Isn't that what Paul was saying way back in Colossians? In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that you would have a full understanding of the gospel, that you may be encouraged and knit together in unity with the outpouring of love. You see why it's so important not to be deluded or taken captive? So this is what you need to do this week. You need to ask yourself, are you walking in him? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel day in and day out? Are you studying the truth of God's word? Are you being grounded in sound doctrine? Are you on guard? Can you tell the difference between those secret destructive heresies and the truth of the gospel? And are you fully confident you are in him? Four practicals to take away this week. Looking forward to being with you next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have shown us in your word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to walk through this scripture today. Father, even though we went a little over time in our allotted time slot, there's just too much here and too, 
too much value and importance for us as we live, that we would not be taken captive, that we would not be deluded by untruth. Father, help us to be firmly established in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.